Welcome to the Road to Life Church podcast. Here with our pastor, Micah Shepline, you will be inspired through the Word of God. For more information, please visit roadtolifechurch.com. Welcome to church. I want to talk to you this morning about this phrase, smoke and fire. Now, we were actually up uh, camping this weekend, me and my, and my family and my parents and um, some of the siblings, and it was funny because whenever there's a campfire being built, naturally all of the male attention shifts to that. Um, you know, I feel like there's just an innate desire of every man to just build a massive fire from nothing and just like be like, I built that. So it was funny because it was raining for a couple days, but you better believe once that fire was started, I noticed I'm like, my dad, Carlos, me, we're all like, well, what if you had a stick there? I'll throw one of those on. Oh, you know, let's chop. Oh, you got enough tindal. You know, it's like, just like looking at it. But it's just funny because fire is always a, a naturally something that draws our attention. It draws our focus in, in a constructive way. But in a deconstructive way, fire can also be something that is obviously not beneficial for us and something that can produce a lot of carnage and, and a lot of um, not positive things. But really what I want to focus on is this phrase, um, and I've heard it a lot over the years, but where there's smoke there's fire. And it's not just the phrase as it pertains to campfires or natural fire, but really the phrase as it pertains to understanding, right, is that if you smell smoke and you're not supposed to be smelling smoke, there might be a fire. And what I want to talk about is I think a lot of the times what the Lord does and really what it means to follow God is in my, I'm going to introduce a new thought this morning. And it's this idea that God is in the business of trying to get you to smell the smoky areas of your life before they catch on fire. Does that make sense? And I think that's a lot of the times what goes on in scripture is the Lord's like leading people to a place of self-revelation and reflection to where they look and say, oh, that area smells a little smoky. It might catch on fire and possibly destroy something that I don't want it to destroy. And it's funny because... uh, you know, many of you guys don't know this, but Pastor Mike is, is my dad, and he's, he actually, uh, about 15 years ago, was involved in a pretty serious uh, fire accident, and I say accident because he ran out of kerosene and decided to light a massive brush fire with gas. If you know my dad, that's a very natural progression of things. It's like, oh, I have five gallons here. Why don't I just douse this whole thing, and I'll lead a little trail, and Essentially, what happened is, is he's dousing this, this, this brush pile with gas, and he leads a trail away. And as he does that, he just thinks, all right, I'll light the trail. It'll catch. It'll go. But he didn't think, oh, there might be vapor in the air. And I remember I'm, I was a, a probably 13 years old, and as I'm walking down the hallway, I'll never forget it because we lived on a couple acres of land. And the brush, fire was way in, the brush pile was way in the back of this, this area of land, and the house was on the very front of the lot. And I'm walking down the hallway. And I hear an explosion, like a like gunfire explosion, and the house shakes, and the picture frames that were on the wall fall off of the wall onto the ground. And we're talking, our lot is, you know, it's two acres, so he's 150, 200 yards away down, down uh, on our lot. And I remember, and essentially what happened is, is he had poured this gas to start this fire, but he hadn't realized that there was vapor in the air around him that he wasn't picking up on that 
the minute that he lit that trail, ignited the air around him. And he had second and third degree burns all over his body, had to be life flighted or uh, medevaced with the helicopter thing um, into Bronson. And they said he, he was in ICU and they said, you're going to be here for weeks. And if you know anything about my dad, he's like, I ain't sitting in a hospital bed. Within a few days, he actually was home. They said, you're going to need to skin graft. You didn't have to skin graft. You're not going to have hair. He grew hair back. You're not going to have, you're going to be scarred. He has very minimal scarring. And it's really a miracle. But essentially what it started with is I'm going to build this fire. I'm going to light it, but I'm not aware of the things around that could be combustible. And I would like to really introduce this thought today is that I think a lot of the times in our lives, we make choices and we're not realizing that we have combustible areas of our lives, of our relationships, of our, of our existence that around us, if we're not careful, could easily ignite and cause a lot of problems. And really what I want to talk about is this passage of scripture, because this is kind of what started it. Is this and, and, and really, as Christians, I'm challenging us today because to follow Jesus would, would essentially be for us today to say, all right, Lord, is there any areas where I'm smelling a little smoke? Is there any areas where there might be an ability to, a fire, to the fire to grow and consume something I don't want it to consume because I maybe haven't been paying attention to it? You know, this passage of Scripture uh, Jesus is, is found in John, it's in John chapter 2, and it's a very, what I would say, overlooked passage, because essentially it's Jesus' early ministry days, and he's doing what every ministry would want to do. And I'm going to read it now, it says this. Now, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Now, if you put a billboard out in front, and said, we are Road to Life Church, and we've had many believe in the name because of the signs that's been going on. That would be like, wow, that's a good thing. But listen to this next passage. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. Now, that thought to me is interesting, because when you think about it, if people are believing, if people are following, if signs and wonders are happening, why wouldn't God be entrusting? Then it says this, verse, 25, or verse 24, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Man, this is just an interesting thought process, right? Jesus is essentially what's going on is it says, all right, there's signs and wonders, Tons of people are coming and believing, and Jesus is like, yeah, this is all good, but I don't trust it. You know, what's interesting, actually, is there's a passage right after this where Jesus' brothers come to him, and they're encouraging him, hey, go to this town and do miracles there. And it actually says in scriptures, for they did not believe who he truly was. Jesus' own brothers. They want the signs. They want the miracles. They want all of that but they don't necessarily want God. You know, and I think this is where we are as a, you know, a Western religion that Christianity has revolved into is essentially this place of God, I want this. God, I need this. God, I'd like it if you handled this. God, can you please do this? God, what's going on with this? And it's this request-based almost system of relationship 
And what God's essentially wanting to introduce today is this idea that through relationship and through the awareness of him, that we can actually change from kind of this request of, God, I need signs and wonders, to God, I just need you, period. I, you know, I would love if you worked in this, these areas, but man, I'm going to be patient and I'm going to trust you in them. God, I would love if you did it this way, but you know what? I'm holding that very open-handed because I know you may do it completely different than I ever thought. God, I would really like it if you did this, but at the same time, I trust whatever you're going to do, I'm in for it. See, this is what's interesting. Jesus later on, it says that he fed the 5,000, and then he had another instance where he fed the 4,000, right? So he feeds a lot of people, and they're following him around, and he realizes this is a big crowd. And what's funny is he looks at the crowd, and he goes... You guys are only following me because I fed you, but I don't want to feed you anymore. I want you to, this is his words, not mine, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it says that they were offended and left him. What is he saying? He's saying, you're following me because what I can do for your physical needs, but not what I want to do for your spiritual well-being. And what's interesting, how many of you guys know if I stood up here, I said, all right, guys, today we're not having a sermon. We're going to line up. We're all doing eating the flesh and drinking blood. <laughs> Everybody would be like, weirdo. But Jesus is trying to reveal this truth that, hey, if all we do is focus on him to meet our needs and not actually be our source, our sustainer, our supplier, our savior, do we actually have relationship? Do we actually pursue him outside of the needs of our secular worldview? Do we actually say, Father, regardless if you do it this way or that way, I'm with you. Regardless if it's in my timing or not, I'm with you. Regardless if it feels like the fire is consuming me, God, I know you can put it out and I know you can also refine me. I'm with you. You know, it was funny because I was... Uh, I almost incorporated this, and now I am. You guys get some bonus material. The word patience in the Greek is actually a word picture. And the word picture is it's two separate words, and I don't have them off the top of my head, but if you ask me later, I can probably find them on my notes. But it's a Greek word picture of somebody who sits in one place under a heavy weight. So when the Bible says, you know, be patient or we follow God and we're, we're called to be patient or whatever. Essentially, it is every time Jesus uttered that phrase, it was a picture of somebody standing in one place under a heavy weight, just waiting. Whew, that does not sound pleasant. Like, God, I'm going to be patient with your promise. Ooh. God, I'm going to be patient in your calling. God, man, we are not a patient society today. But essentially, Jesus is trying, what he tries to do all throughout his ministry is to get away from signs and wonders and all of these things and meet people where they're at in their heart. So there's heart change and transformational lifestyle that takes place. So people see, okay, God isn't just this need meter, even though he can be, he's everything. So what I want to do is I want to read, though, because remember what he said at the end, and, need, and he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. He himself knew. I want to read this story because I think it's a very often um, probably missed. One of my favorite things about Christianity is when you talk to people. I, I'm pretty, I, I love to read my Bible. I love to study. I love to learn. And 
What's interesting to me is this story in particular is one where we can read it and be like, wow, good story, cool. You know, and we don't understand like the actual gravity behind it. And it's found in Exodus chapter 24, verses 9. And essentially what's going on is, is the children of Israel have left Egypt. They've been in bondage and slavery for over 400 years, 480 years. And as they leave Egypt, they're brought in. They're being brought into the promised land. And before they can go into the promised land, God calls Moses up on a mountain. And essentially what he's doing is he's giving them the rules of what it means to follow and live in covenant with him in a concrete way through the Ten Commandments, no pun intended, because they were carved in stone. And so essentially what goes on is this is where we're at. This is where we're picking up the stories. He's saying, hey, I'm going to give you the lifestyle. I'm going to give you the to-do list of what you think you need to do to get to me. And ultimately, it's going to help your society. So it says this, Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Ibihu. I, here's the deal, Old Testament names. I've studied them a lot. It doesn't matter how many times you study them. You still mispronounce them. And the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like pavement made of, I'm not even going to try. What's funny, though, is if you type that in on Google Image, it's one of the clearest uh, gemstones of blue. It's a really dark, uh, dark blue that's like just a crazy color. Don't look at it right now or you won't pay attention to the rest. But think about this, right? Then it says this, but God did not raise his hands against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. Hold on. God brings up Moses, Aaron, the secondary leaders, and 70 other leaders. They're literally sitting on a seat of blue gemstones and rubies, eating and drinking with God. Are we adding enough context for us today, church, right? How many times do you see this in Scripture? You don't, because it doesn't happen. People, you remember what it said? He, did, he didn't raise his hand against them because most of the time you couldn't be in the presence of God. These people, there's 75 of them, all chilling, having all-you-can-eat buffet with heaven's buffet on top of a sea of gemstones. And he's just hanging out. How many of you guys know? That's a sign and a wonder. That's like, some of us are like, God, I want an encounter. If you had that encounter and you walked away from the Lord, oh. but guess what happens? Listen to this. We're going to skip ahead. Exodus 32, 1 through verse 4. So the very end of that passage, it says this. God looks at all the people and he says, hey, I want you to go down and govern everybody. Me and Moses are going to work out some details. So we're sitting on a pavement of blue rubies and gemstones eating food and drinking with God. And he says, all right, I got to talk with my boy Mo. You guys go down there and can you handle Aaron? Can you handle everything? Oh yeah, I'm good, right? Then this happens, Exodus 32, one to four. When the people saw that Moses was so long, hold on, you want to know how long so long is? 40 days. You're in slavery 480 years. And after 40 days, and of those 40 days, the people who came down from those mountains in the first 40 days are telling you they ate with God on blue gemstone ruby pavement. They ate with him, drank with him, and he's telling Moses everything you need to do to enter into the promised land. He's taking too long. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, let us make gods who will go before us. 
As for this fellow, Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And then Aaron, once again, somebody who sat on blue ruby gemstone pavement and ate with God is like, okay, this sounds like a great idea. Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and went into an idol cat and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then he said, these are your gods who brought you out of Egypt. Pause. Let's add context. 40 days earlier, Aaron is sitting with God on a mountain of pavement of ruby gemstone, deep blue, eating and drinking with him. And 40 days later is building a gold calf to worship. I would venture to say there were some areas that maybe have been smoky that are leading to a massive fire that is kind of a big deal. It's, it's just so fascinating to me that all throughout the Bible, there's interwoven these stories of God meeting with signs, with wonders, with incredible, incredible things going on, and people saying, thank you, see ya. People saying, Dang, man, God, you really, thank you so much for what you did. God, man, I really appreciate that. Man, I know you just healed that. I know you just mended that. I know you just did something that I absolutely could not have fathomed. See, this is what Jesus is talking about when he says, oh, he knew the nature of man. He knew what was in man. He's essentially saying for generations, I have met needs, but nobody wants me. They just want me to meet their needs. Man, doesn't that sound like culture today? We want things that produce results in our way of how we measure results. But the moment it's not in our timing, 40 days, it's not in our method. We can't see Moses. We don't know where he is. It's not in our way of constructing things. It's not within our realm of reality. The moment all of those things happen, God, are you even real? God, are you there? See, the challenge today is some of us, maybe we've had areas of our lives where we know that there's some fires going on. And it's one thing to be aware of those, but it's another thing to address them. Because essentially what happens all throughout Scripture is that God, the only way he could get people to address a lot of their issues is by completely attacking the welfare and well-being of people to get them to realize that when you're in control, you're not in control. And if you want to kind of talk more about that, we can go all throughout. See, a lot of us, we talk about the children of Israel and how they were enslaved and God let them out. Did you realize that God let them go back into slavery to Babylon? Because he couldn't get out the things that he wanted. And so he said, you know what? I'll leave you guys. And they got re-enslaved. I mean, all throughout, all we ever want, I feel like, is God to do the things we want him to do, but not us to do the things that we need to do. I pray, church, that our revelation today isn't just, okay, well, you know, this was good. It was a great message, but it was truly, what are areas in my life that are catching a little bit of fire or a little smoky? God, what does your word say to do? I'll do it. 
That's, that, it's really as simple as that. It's not Micah said to do this and, you know, so I'm going to do it. It's not, no, it's what is the revelation needed for your breakthrough right now? And are you willing to go find it and apply it? So what I want to do is I want to give us just a couple things on how to know if your house is getting smoky. I just want to give us a couple quick things. How do you know if your house is getting smoky? The first one is this. Godly, God usually only gives you signs for a season and then you're challenged to become a symbol a symbol of goodness, love, and faithfulness to the world. See, here's the thing that a lot of people don't realize throughout all of Scripture is that God 100% meets people with signs and with miracles and with crazy things. But over time, what he wants to do is to get us away from, okay, I need all of these signs to keep me going. I need this feeling to keep me going. I need all of this stuff to keep me going. I need another miracle. I need another, and say, all right, God, Even if you don't do that, I'm still with you. Even when I don't feel like going, I'm still going. Even when I don't feel like doing, I'm I'm still doing. Even when I don't feel like putting time in, I'm still putting. See, a lot of us, what we do is we cry out to God for signs and not realize that God intends signs to lead to his people realizing that they're a symbol of him. The greatest breakthrough in our world is when the church realizes that we actually possess the power of God. You know what's crazy? He's floating into heaven and he's looking at his disciples and he's saying, as the savior of the world, greater things you can do. That should give you goosebumps. For God to have literally paid the ransom for sin of all time to be floating into the clouds, you can do greater. Man, why have we just settled for just this existence of just this transient place of wondering who God is, wondering if he's real, wondering when he's truly sitting here and saying, listen, I can meet you with signs and wonders, but that's not what meeting me actually is. Meeting me is when you sign up to say, God, I will be a symbol of your love, of your faithfulness, of your goodness, of consistency, of pursuit. I will be a symbol for you. You want to know something funny, right? Jesus' disciples, he spends three years with them showing them signs. But then guess what? When he left, they weren't crying out to God for more signs. They were the symbols that were now giving the signs out. Man, can we ever get past the place of God, I need you, need you, need you to do this, need you to do this, need you to do And rather, God, even if you don't do this, I'm still with you. God, that hurt a lot, but I'm still here. God, I didn't understand that, but I'm still walking. God, that really was tough, but I'm still going. God, I, didn't, uh, I don't know what you're doing with that, but one day I will and I'm with you. See, that's a symbol, is when you can look at the signs and they're not adding up, but you're still choosing him. And some of us, a lot of the times, what happens is we come to God and we say, God, it's not adding up. I can't choose you anymore. That's John 2. He knows that stuff. And some of us, maybe we're questioning and wondering why we've never had a full depth of encounter with the Father. And it's because all he's ever done is looked at us and said, man, I can't really trust myself with you because all you want is what I can give you, not what actually I want, which is relationship. I know this is a challenging word, but it starts from this place of understanding that signs and all of those things are incredibly awesome, but they are created for you to be a symbol. You have to choose that. 
You know, I remember that back row back there in the, sec- the second to last row, I-, I had gone on some mission trips and done some things. And I remember I was sitting there in a worship session and I was praying. I said, Lord, I was probably 20 years old. I said, Lord, I pray this fire never leaves me. I pray this fire never leaves me. I pray this fire never leaves me. I felt like the Lord whispered in that moment. I'll never forget it. He said, well, you're responsible for tending the fire. You're responsible for stoking the fire. You're responsible for throwing another log on that fire. You're responsible for protecting that fire. And it'll always be there as long as you sign up to be responsible for it. Man, I hear so many people, we cry out, God, I want you. And God goes, all right, then come after me. And we don't have the the grit to actually do that in our world. I pray today we realize that symbols are way more important than signs, and you were created to be one. The second thing is this. Opposites are the focus of the enemy's attack on your life. Opposites. If he can knock your faith out, he can knock you out. You know, what's interesting to me is that I think a lot of the times, you know, the enemy, um, it says in Scripture, you know, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've given you life, and life more abundantly. But what's interesting about that is I think a lot of the times we think, okay, steal, kill, and destroy in a physical sense. But here's what the enemy wants, is he doesn't doesn't need to kill you to actually kill you. What he needs to do is kill your credibility, kill your witness. He needs to kill your passion. He needs to kill your, your ability and your relationship of depth with the Father. See, all he needs to do is get you to walk out in the opposite spirit of what you're commanded to walk in. You know, and some of you guys are wondering, okay, well, what does that mean? What is the opposite spirit of what I'm supposed to walk in? Because here's the biggest thing, right? I would say a lot of our, the smoke and fires in our life are just based off of the fact that the Bible says to do one thing, we're doing another thing, and we're just, he's just trying to get our attention and say, listen, if you want to be a symbol, that can't stay. Galatians 5.22, I love this one because some of us, right, it's like, okay, God, I want examples of like what to do, right? Galatians 5.22 to 24, fruits of the Spirit. But what we're going to do is we're going to talk about opposites today for a second. Because if he can get, if the enemy can get you to walk out in the opposite spirit of what you're supposed to be walking in, he can start a fire that can destroy you, Right? Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus have crucified their flesh with his passion and desire. I love how it sneaks that one in. Nobody really quotes that one. It's like, it's like, oh God, I want the fruit of the Spirit. And God's like, all right, we'll kill your flesh and your desires. And we're like, ooh, I like the fruit of the Spirit one, the love, joy, peace, patience, good. Yeah, I like those ones. It's like, kill your, kill your flesh and desire. Think about it, though, right? What's the opposite of love? Hate? Yeah. There's another definition, actually, that I found interesting. It's by Eli Weissel, who was a Nobel Peace Prize winner, one of my favorite quotes. The opposite of love, this was a man who lived in the Holocaust era and was a, a Jew in concentration camps. It says, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. Indifference is a lack of concern, empathy, or regard for any life outside of your own. Woo-hoo! That's somebody who lived through the Holocaust. He's not saying you can hate me and that's the opposite of love. He's saying you don't care and that's the opposite of love. Wow, let's take it a step up, church. A lack of concern, empathy, or regard for anybody outside of our own bubble. 
anybody outside of our own grid, anybody outside of our own ability to see or comprehend. Man, that just sounds like our culture. Joy opposite of love is, or the opposite of joy is unhappiness and bitterness. Opposite of peace is not peaceful, someone who sucks the air out of the room. The opposite of patience is impatient. The opposite of kindness, someone who's mean and not tolerant. Opposite of goodness is a life not producing good things. Opposite of faithfulness is a life not faithful or committed. These are like super easy. Gentleness, opposite is abrasive and reckless. Self-control, the opposite, someone who has no restraint, no ability to comprehend, no ability to control themselves. How many of you guys know these seem really easy, but man, why is it that the easy things always seem the hardest? See, what the enemy wants to do is he wants to take what God says, convince you to do the opposite, get your flesh within that, and then when your faith is burned down and you're looking at God saying, why did it happen? He's looking at you like, you you didn't follow. You didn't actually do what I said. See, if we follow God and the Spirit is within us, then these fruits should be evident. Are these fruits evident in your life or the opposites evident? Because I'm going to tell you this, if you've got a lot of opposites evident, you're going to have a lot of fires. If we got a lot of opposites of what God's wanting to do and we're wondering why God isn't moving, the last one is this, input must lead to output. If you receive wisdom, correction, or instruction and never change, the smoke in the room is the last of your worries. You know, I think this one's probably the hardest one for us um, to really get is that God actually has given us his word people around us, even people we don't like, to give us input to see if we'll change our output. And some of us, we've been crying out for God to move, crying out for God to do things, and he hasn't done them, and we're blaming him, but rather it's, I've sent you messengers. I've sent you people. I've done stuff for you. What's going on? You know, a few years ago, we have community houses here where um, a bunch of different uh, college-age people live. And uh, a few years ago, I've lived, my mom was actually asking me this week, she said, how many guys have you lived with over the last year, over the last few years? And I, I think I put the number at like seven, almost 70. Pray for me. It was awful. My last house smelt like wet dog. Probably still does. Anyway, I sold it. It was, woo, I got a new house by myself. I'm like, Lord, you are good and your mercy I remember this guy calls me, and he's leaving an organization um, and, and, a, and a ministry, and he calls me, and he goes, hey, man, I, I kind of had to leave this place out of not really where I wanted to be, and I'm looking for community. I'm looking for correction. I'm looking for an adjustment. I'm looking to make changes. I need it, and I've, I've heard you guys have a community there. I will, I'll move there, and I want to be a part, and I promise you I want to change. I want to do all this stuff. I know God's got... And here's the deal. If somebody's open and teachable or says that, you know, I'm going to give them a chance 100 times. So I said, all right, yeah, you can move in. So we have a, a, a code or standards. And by standards, I mean, it's like come to church, serve a little bit, be open, communicate, and just don't screw up terribly. It's like you want to, you want to know something? Like we're a 70 times 7 church. Like we genu- I genuinely have cons- forgiven people 490 times for the same thing. So I remember this guy calls and I said, all right, well, these are the, oh, I'm in, I want this. I remember I got him a job with a buddy 
My buddy calls me the first day. He says, hey, where's your guy at? He was supposed to be here an hour ago. Let me call him. Oh, dude, I had to go get a donut. Okay. Church that weekend. Hey, what happened? Oh, dude, I just overslept, got up late, and just couldn't make it. Okay. Missed a couple prayer meetings with the housework. What happened? Just some stuff came up. Okay. Next Sunday, doesn't make it again. I come home. Hey, what happened? I had to change. This is dead serious. I had to change my taillight. (laughs) That's a joke, you guys. Goodness, that's not a good excuse to miss church. Changing your taillight? You got hundreds of hours through the week. I remember I looked at him. I said, hey, man, this probably isn't a place for you anymore. He looked at me like, what? He said, well, you told me everything you wanted to do, but you didn't want to change any of your behaviors to actually accomplish it, so you should probably go pack your stuff. And he looked at me, and he goes, can you do that? I said, hold on, let me check. Yeah, I can. No. <laughs> and then the best part was, he goes, can, can you, I'm going to call your dad. I said, you should. <laughs> you should. My dad does real good with that stuff. <laughs> you think this is hard. But it was funny because here's the deal. What did it start with? I'll do anything. I'm called. I want to change. But when the rubber meets the road, when the input needs to have some output, do we actually want to? Do we actually pursue it? Will we make the hard choices? Will we have some hard conversations? Will we maybe have a hard moment of self-awareness? Will we be able to look and say, man, I've been smelling smoke in this area and I better get some water and walk out in the opposite spirit of what I've been doing because it's been building a fire. Church, today I pray we never forget that signs are great, but you're created to be a symbol.